chapter 8, paragraph 1. We'll be in confession, chapter 8, paragraph 1. That's where we were two weeks ago, uh, but we didn't quite finish it. So we're going to finish that tonight. Some of you did submit uh, your, your writing essay on paragraph 2, and I thank you for that. Good news, you're a week ahead. So good for you all. Uh, but otherwise, next week we'll be covering paragraph 2, and the rest of you... Uh, we'll want to look at that for, for next week. But for tonight, we're going to finish paragraph one. If you're using the, the Bible from over there, it's page 1313. Um, so just a little bit of a recap, because I was not uh, here for the last uh, two weeks. It's been a while since we looked at the beginning of, of paragraph one or of, of uh, point one. It's all about, this whole chapter is about Christ uh, the mediator. And so we're going to do a little bit of review of where we were a couple weeks ago to get our minds kind of back in that uh, frame, and then we'll move on to the rest of what the uh, what the paragraph says. So, uh, Cole Owens, can you tell me what is a mediator? What does a mediator do? Mediator is a person who goes between two conflicting parties. Two conflicting parties, right? So, and what's the, what's their goal? To settle the dispute. Settle the dispute, bring them back together, right? Um, Chase Troutner. Uh, why do we need a mediator between us and God? Because we're sinful creatures and we're not worthy in the presence of the Lord. Because we're sinful creatures who are not worthy? Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. And, and what, what is it about our sin that puts us at enmity with God? Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. That's what reconciles us to God. Uh, God, God hates our sin because it's rebellion against him. That's, that's why it, it needs a mediator. Um... Uh, let's see, what can I make really uncomfortable? Uh, I like freshmen. (laughs) (laughs) Afton Babington, not a freshman, but, uh, what three offices does Christ exercise as our mediator? Prophet, priest, and king. Very good. Um, Francis, no. (laughs) <laughs> yeah Francis Duncan what does Christ do as our prophet um, I know as king he like rules over us and then priest he like he's like sacrifices us so prophet he like intercedes with God prophets talk to God? That's going to fall more under priest. Um, As a prophet, he declares to us the will of God for our salvation. He makes known to us the will of God. Uh, Matthew Van Dudeward, why might it be a good thing to have a prophet like that, that makes known to us the will of God? Because he's perfect. Because he's perfect? Okay. Why do we need a prophet to make known to us the will of God? Mr. Gamble? Because uh, God doesn't usually come down to earth in the form of like a vision or something and tell someone exactly what uh, needs to be done. Okay. We're hitting, we're getting close to the right answer. Like follow what he actually says. So, so we can... Left by ourselves to what, out. <laughs> why would it be bad to be left by yourself to figure it out? Because we would do it wrong. That's exactly right. We need a prophet to guide us because apart from that, we would make sinful, selfish decisions and would not know the truth. Um, Francis kind of already told us what a priest does. Uh, he, he, uh, 
he sacrifices himself for us and he intercedes for us in prayer. Um, why is it good that we have a priest that's offered the, the fitting sacrifice and that, that intercedes for us in prayer? Anybody? If it seems too obvious, it, it might just be. Can you ask it again? Sure. Uh, why is it good? So, so Francis said that as our priest, he offers a sacrifice for us and he intercedes for us in prayer. Why is it good that we have Jesus as our high priest doing those things? Yeah. Because we are fallen. Because we're fallen? And, and Jack? Um, he is perfect and he is, uh, he has like a direct relationship with God the Father. Yeah, he's, he's at the Father's right hand. We know his prayers are heard. And did I hear some? He's perfect, so he's the best one to do. Right. He's the perfect sacrifice, yeah. He has our best interests at heart. He yeah. has no selfish desires. Yeah. He's pure and perfect, no selfish desires. He did all that was necessary to reconcile us to God. Uh, and then, uh, what, um, Josiah, what does Jesus do as our king? Um, he uh, leads us into, like, um... He subdues us to himself and conquers all of his and our enemies. Why is it good that we have a king like that? I'm going to stick with you, Mr. Schwanabell. Like, we are powerless against like, the world and the temptations of the world, so we need somebody to like, lead us through that. Amen. That's exactly right. We need his power to push back the kingdom of darkness. We cannot do it in and of ourselves. And so with that done, uh, let's move on to our, our new material for tonight, which we're basically going to consider uh, in, in two sections, okay? Uh, the prophet, priest, and king, that's... Uh, Primarily, that's generally what people mean when they talk about the offices of Christ. Uh, whenever you hear someone speak of the anointed offices, it's always they mean prophet, priest, and king. Our confession gives us um, a couple of other titles that he has. I don't know if it's proper to call them offices or not, but we'll say Christ's other titles. And that's the first thing we'll talk about tonight. And then we'll talk about Christ's people. So first we'll look at his other titles that are listed here in Confession of Faith, chapter 8, 1. I'll just read the whole the whole thing. It pleased God in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten son, to be the mediator between God and man, the prophet, priest, and king. So that's what we just talked about. Who else is he? He's the head and savior of his church, the heir of all things, and the judge of the world. So those are his, his other um, his other roles that he fulfills. And then unto whom he did from all eternity give a people to be his seed and to be by him in time redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified. So first let's talk about uh, his, his role as the head and savior of the church. Uh, this title is really uh, a, a direct jab against Roman Catholicism, historically speaking, at, at the time of the writing of the Confession. And even today, they would say that the, the Pope is the head of the church. They would say that he is, um, the, 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 the Latin is alter Christus. He's another Christ. He's in the place of Christ, ruling over the church. And, and we want to say, um, Jesus is the head of the church. And we want to say that because the Bible plainly says that. That's the exact language of Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23, that Christ is head of the church. And, and you'll see 
uh, the more you study the, the Westminster Standards, and the more you study the Bible, you'll see that time and time again, the Westminster Standards are not just um, summarizing the Bible, though they do that. They're, they're doing it by directly quoting, or at the very least, alluding to passages of Scripture. And, th and that's a direct phrase, that he is the head of the church. And, and because Christ is the only head and savior of the church, that's why it's really shameful that there is so much debate, even in our kind of Calvinistic, Reformed, PCA world, over what is the mission of the church. You get lots of different answers, even from PCA pastors, about what is the church here to do. Um, and, and the fact is, we're not left to figure out that on our own. Uh, Dr. Phillips likes to give the illustration because he, he was in the army that at no point in his tenure in the army did headquarters ever say, uh, Rick, what would you like to do today? No, they gave him his mission and he executed the mission. What is the mission that Jesus has given the church? Jack. Go and be disciples to all nations. Go make disciples of all nations. Be them too, but... <laughs> you don't get to stop being a disciple, but the, the, the commission, it's the great commission. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Go and make disciples of all nations. How? By teaching them all things that I've commanded you and baptizing them and on he goes. And that's why this church is primarily focused on the preaching and teaching of the word of God. Because that is the primary means by which Jesus has given us to exercise the Great Commission, right? He says, go and make disciples. Well, what does the Bible say? How, how do we make disciples? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of Christ, Romans 10, 17. It's through the proclamation of God's word primarily that people are converted to Christianity. That's, that's again, um, one reason why I encourage you guys to learn how to pray scripture. Um, and I'm just sharing this now, this is not my notes, but in my own personal experience, I really believe that it is the, the power of the Word of God that converts the soul. And so what I have found in my own uh, opportunities to speak about my faith with, with people who do not believe is they will often not be interested if I say, hey, let's open up the Bible, let's start at Ephesians 1, and let's see what the Bible says about the No interest. However, can I pray for you? Yes, you may. And I pray for them the very promises of God. I pray for them passages of Scripture. So the Word of God is being proclaimed, and I'm, I'm explaining it as I'm praying it. And that is something that is always uh, well-received, and I, I pray that it would lead to faith for some of my, uh, my friends and even my family. Uh, but that's beside the point. Uh, because Christ is the head of the church, he has given us our mission, and you will want to find a church uh, when you go to college or, or uh, when you move or whatever happens that, that is focused on that mission and employs the means that Christ gave us, primarily the ordinary means of grace, the word of God, sacraments and the prayers, all the, all the things that are listed in the Great Commission. Yes, there should be other things, right? We have a youth program at this church. That's why I have a job. I'm for other things. But the bedrock of that youth program is these meetings on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings where I teach the Word of God. And there are other things that are added to that. There's fellowships that are fun and appropriate, and I'm not against those, but we want to be a people who keep the main thing the main thing because the head of the church said do that, right? That's what it means to, to recognize him as the head of the church. Next, the confession says he is the heir of all things. 
And again, this is pulling language directly from the Bible. That's Hebrews 1, verse 2. Uh, let's see. Uh, Hanuel, what do you suppose it means that he is the heir of all things? He's God's son. So, so what's the what's the relationship then of all things to him? They all belong to him. They all belong to him. Everything that exists belongs to God. Mr. Spell, what what is the significance then of saying that that Christ is the heir of all things? Directly related to your life and, and your things and, and your relationships and all of that. You don't know? That's okay. Mr. Johnson, help him out. So, What's the implication? If all things belong to Christ. Then you and yourself belong to Christ and you should um, act as that way. Yeah. You belong to Christ. And everything that you have in your life that you think is yours is actually not yours. It actually belongs to him. And so that means that, that, that Jesus has something to say about every single part, every single aspect, every single feature of our life. He has something to say about how you treat your body. Because it's not your body. It's his body. It belongs to him. So, so, so he has something to say about, about how we, uh, do, do we take care of ourselves or do we just do whatever we feel like? Do we, do we put, do we put effort into being healthy and promoting, and promoting quality of life for our body? Jesus cares about that. Uh, the Westminster's larger catechism details this in the sixth commandment that, that part of keeping and honoring the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, is, is, is good sleep, good exercise, good Diet, uh, because you're promoting healthy life. Uh, Jesus has something to say about the way that we dress. Do we dress modestly, modestly and carefully, or do we dress without a thought to what that might provoke in the minds of someone else? He has something to say about that. Jesus has something to say about the way we spend our money. Are we flashy and over the top and covetous with the things that we buy and want to make other people look at our stuff? Or are we wise and good stewards? Are we investing in the things that God cares about? Jesus has, has stuff to say about a lot of things because he is the heir of all things. Because ultimately, they all belong to him. God the Father has given him all things. Uh, and, and for right now, they are yours to be stewarded, yours to be cared for, until he comes back. Uh, the next title or role or office that he occupies according to the confession is he is the judge of the world and this is very much related to the previous office and it's something that that we affirm nearly every lord's day when we confess our faith in the apostles creed and the nicene creed right he he will come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead by the way for anyone who doesn't know when we say the quick he's not talking about fast people you're you're not uh, <laughs> entitled to extra judgment just for being fast uh no he means quick is an old way of saying living uh, so he's coming to judge the living and the dead. That's also why um, I've already interrupted, so I'll keep going. Um, <laughs> a year ago, Brooke had to memorize a Bible verse for every letter of the Bible. Or excuse me, a Bible verse for every letter of the alphabet. And uh, <laughs> there's not too many verses that begin with the letter Q, but there uh, is in the old King James, quit ye like men, which means 
live like a man. And so that was the one. Was, I just wanted her to know it doesn't mean, you know, anyway. Coming to judge the living and the dead. He is the judge of all the world. And while that's very related to his previous office that's listed as the heir of all things, it's not exactly the same thing. Because not only does he have a say on all parts of your life, but he's actually judging it. And that's not something that a lot of people like to talk about. The good news for the Christian is that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 1. If you don't know that verse by heart, it's a good one to memorize. Um, but nonetheless, it is true that we are all called to give an account to him on the last day. Uh, would somebody please read for us Romans 14, 12. Romans 14, 12. Actually, let's back up to Romans 10, 14, 10 to 12. Miss Marilyn. Why do you pass judgment on your brother, or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God, so that each of us will give an account of himself to God. Right. That's, that's great. So who's, who's Paul writing to there? Turning to Christians, you, though pardoned for your sin, though you will not face condemnation and wrath for your sin who have trusted in Christ, you will nonetheless stand before him and give an account. And this is a very uncomfortable thing to think about if, if we think only in negative terms, that, that, that there is a sense in which we will stand before the judge and give an answer for all of our deeds. But on the other hand, I want to commend to you that this is an incredibly freeing thought. This is an incredibly peace-giving thought. I know that sounds funny, but hear me out. Um, as human beings in general, but especially teenagers, you will often feel the urge, the, the pull to, to satisfy all people. You will want to be liked by many different people. And you will have opportunities in your life where you can do this and please half the people. Or you can do this and upside that half of the people but please this half of the people. Has anyone experienced something like this before in your life? And there can be this crippling, this crippling sense that I don't know what to do because I don't want anyone to be mad at me. Whatever I do, somebody's going to be upset. Whatever I do, somebody's going to be disappointed. And so often you'll feel that you're, you're unable to find a way to please everyone, to meet all of their expectations. But here's the thing. While it's in general a good desire to want to please people, to want to, to, want to make people happy, that is generally speaking a good thing. The freeing thing is to remember that ultimately none of them are your judge. No person is your judge. God is your judge. Do the right thing according to scripture and let the cards fall where they may. That's a really freeing place to be. To not have to be worried about being a slave to pleasing every single person. Harris, why do you suspect that, what, what do you suspect might be another reason that it's freeing to know that God is, the, that Jesus is the judge of all the world? Um, 
kind of like a sense of unity with all the power of the whole world. A sense of unity? Okay. We're all going to stand before the same judge? Not bad. Josiah? We don't have to get our own judgment on those who are on this. Yeah. You don't have to make it right. You're not obligated to judge or fix other people. It's not your job to fix the world, to purge them from all their sins. It's your job to be faithful. It's your job to speak the truth in love. But it is not your job to fix them. It's not your job to render judgment. Let's look back at Romans uh, chapter 14. Uh, Can I get somebody else to read verses, uh, excuse me, not Romans 14, Romans 12, verses 14 to 20. Romans 12, verses 14 to 20. Ms. Babington. For those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Pause. It is so common, even in the lives of faithful, true Christians, to think, I would be kind to so-and-so, but they said this really rude thing to me last week. I would show respect to this person, but they really offended me yesterday. I would be kind and generous here, but they were selfish there and then. It's not up to us to do that. Paul Paul makes it very clear here. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Keep going, Miss Babington. Verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, who is this that we're supposed to care for? According to verse 20? Our enemy. You don't have to make it right. You're not even called to exercise vengeance. Let God do that. You, be faithful, kind, generous, loyal, obedient, whatever the relationship you have with that person is. And part of the goal is that they might consider... Why are they being this way to me? And you right there, my friend, have an on-ramp to the gospel. Because I was disrespectful. Because I was rude. Because I was sinful. Because I was in rebellion against the Lord Jesus Christ. And do you know what he did? He died to pay for it. To forgive me. So because he did that for me, I can do this for you. That's, That's what he means by you will heap burning coals on their head. It doesn't mean literally you'll put burning coals on their head. But he means that you'll cause them to think and reflect on why are you being this way? And now you have an opportunity to share the gospel. Yes? How do you distinguish between like being kind to somebody and like being their bestie? Because like, if, if you have like, a friend who wrongs you, yeah. it might not necessarily be the best idea to be their like friend again. Sure. Sure. So what I would say is forgiveness is not pretending like it never happened. And forgiveness is not foolishness. So... When somebody wrongs you, especially in a personal way, maybe 
that's not somebody you need to be close personally with. But you can always be polite and respectful when you're around them. Does that make sense? Um, that's a good question. And, and that's also going to be something that you'll have to make a judgment call on on a case-by-case basis. But just remember uh, that forgiveness is not foolishness. Yeah. So I go on with this question, when that person is there, that's shooting you wrong. But it's like day after day, and you're, you're with them every right. single day. Like, what are practical ways that you can like still be respectful, still do what God calls you to do? Right. That's a great question, Opal. Um, I think it depends on the situation. But we're not called to be doormats. We're not called to to roll over and let people mistreat us. What we're called to do is to not be retributive with that. Meaning, um, if somebody is is, um, wronging you in the moment, there's nothing wrong with saying, uh, that's not right. And separating yourself from that situation to the best of your ability. But um, not trying to get back at them is really the, the core sense of the teaching here. That's a good question. Others on that? Okay. Um, let's, let's keep going. And, and, and uh, to, just to follow up on that too. There is a a sense in which also that so long as there's not apparent harm or danger, that uh, suffering, enduring affliction well is part of of drawing closer to Christ. Um, Anyway, I I, I know that this teaching that Christ is the judge of all the world uh, is one that's often shied away from because it can be uncomfortable. But when we remember that it speaks directly to situations like you guys are talking about, that justice will be done and I'm not the one who has to do it, it can be comforting and reassuring. And it's, it's freeing from the expectations of meeting uh, all the need to please other people. Um, so now let's, let's move on with the time we have left uh, to look at the rest of this, uh, this line from the confession, uh, what, it, what it means to be Christ's people. Um, says unto whom so this is unto unto Christ he that's God the father did from all eternity give a people to be his seed and to be by him in time redeemed called justified sanctified and glorified this is a really staggering teaching to, to take into account is that God the Father gave as a gift the church to his son. The church as a whole is the Father's gift to his son. Jesus says in John 6, uh, 36 to 39, all whom the Father gives me will come to me. And this is, this is his will, that, that of all that he has given me, I'll lose none of it. The people of God are a gift that the Father gives to the Son. One of the most enjoyable parts of my life is is being a father and giving gifts to my children. Uh, I recently gave James uh, my old collection of Spider-Man toys. And it's it's an absolute joy to watch him play with them. 
And on the one hand, they're not that valuable for a number of reasons. For, for one, I, I had the most basic, bland, like there's a million of them out there that you can still find at some older stores, editions uh, of the toys. So that's to, that to say there's, there's a billion of them out there, and they're not rare. So they're not valuable in that sense. And, and they were well played with before James got them. So they're, they're not in good condition. But to me and him, they are very valuable. Because it's something that we share together. That we enjoy together. And that, and that bonds us closer together. And in the same way, you, as parts of the church, are part of that gift from the Father to the Son that is so valuable in his sight. And that ought to change the way that we look at one another in this room. Precious, valuable, worthy of dignity, honor, respect. If for no other reason than because that person is precious, valuable, and dignified and worthy of honor and respect between the Father and the Son. And therefore they have true, lasting value. But it also ought to change the way that we look at ourselves. It can be the case when somebody mistreats us, when somebody uh, is, 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 is denigrating to us, that we can tend to buy into that. And we can say, I must be that bad. I must not be that good because so-and-so doesn't think so. But you're part of the church. You're part of that gift. You're included in that. And so the next time that you're tempted to think that you're not that valuable, not that important, remember that your creator said differently. He said that from all eternity, before the foundations of the world, my people would not be complete without this one and that one. And that's, that's, um, that's something that's worth holding on to. And that's something that you can never lose because in being given to the Son, you receive all that He has. You are, you are in Christ and you are with Him then made an heir of all things. You are, you are with Him, precious and beloved of the Father. And, and there, there are all these benefits that are listed uh, in, the, in the rest of the paragraph here that uh, we don't have nearly enough time to do justice to. Um, but the good news is that most of them have their own full chapter in the confession that we'll get to shortly. But it says that, that we were in time redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, glorified. And with the time I have left with you, I just want to point out two things from that. One is, in, in one sense... You belonged to Jesus from before the foundations of the world. Before creation was ever created, before, before anything was, that was made was made, you belonged to Christ. Before the foundations of the world. And that's straight out of Ephesians 1. But the second thing is to know that it was in time that you were redeemed, in time that you actually experienced a call. And for some of you, that call was so long ago that you just don't remember it. And praise God for that. I, I pray every day that that's the testimony of my children. And some of you have a very real vivid memory of, of recognizing, I am a sinner and I need a Savior, and, and Jesus has, has 
called me to be his own and praise God for that. And I hope that, that that's a, a source of strength for you the rest of your life, that, that in time you have been redeemed, you've experienced a, a sense of conversion, of, of being called uh, to, to belong to your master. And the last thing I want to note from these words, let's flip over actually and see them in their, in their biblical context. Remember, the confession is many times using Bible language directly. Romans chapter 8. Verses 29 to 30. Romans chapter 8, verses 29 to 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. So predestined before time, called in time. And those whom he called, he also justified. He legally pardoned their sins and accepted them as righteous in his sight for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Well, here, here's, a, here's a grammar quiz for you, fun as those are. What tense are all of those verbs in Romans 8, 30? Past tense. Are we glorified now? Why are they in the past tense? Because from God's perspective, it's as good as done. He has said, you're mine. I'm not giving you up. You're precious in my sight and you're staying forever. So in God's sight, in God's sight, you belong to him and you can't lose that. Let's pray. God in heaven, we give thanks to you for our Lord Jesus Christ, our faithful mediator, our prophet, priest, and king. Lord, we thank you that you have called us to belong to him. And I pray that for all those who know the Lord, who are trusting him alone for salvation, they would know these truths, that they are precious in his sight. No matter what the world thinks, no matter how others may treat us, no matter how others may respond, we are loved by God. And Lord, I pray for any here who don't know you, that they would hear your call in time and that it would be soon. That they would know what it is to know the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.